Just before the Lord Jesus ascended into heaven, he gave these important words we should, we should never forget. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. What a wonderful missions conference we had on Friday and Saturday. How many of you were able to be there? Just put up your hand. God bless you for taking the time on a busy Saturday. Uh, it's my second time to this conference. I'm a raving fan of WEC. I just watched the new film of C.T. Studd, the founder of WEC, who was one of Cambridge's greatest cricket players, wealthy man, got saved, gave all of his money to God's work, and launched out as a missionary to India, then China, and then in Africa, even his senior years, um, just an amazing servant, founded the WEC. And I'm so glad for you hosting that uh, conference and having this link uh, with WEC. We can think of some other words that are very relevant on this weekend. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he'll send forth workers into the harvest. Yesterday I spoke about the 40 nations that have less than 5% of the witness we have where I live in London. London is a mission field, a needy field. We have a million Muslims alone. What are we going to say of those 40 nations that would have less than 2%? We have a thousand plus, plus, plus churches in London. There are many cities, many places where they have next to nothing. So workers are still needed, not in the same places. So pray the Lord of the harvest that he'll send forth workers into the harvest. Go into all the world and make disciples in all nations. And we've had that great emphasis on discipleship. Uh, during the uh, during the weekend, and of course that's just so basic. I'm celebrating, to be honest, what the Lord has done in this church that I've been linked with for almost 50 years, and the privilege of coming many times, mainly to your older building. And so what a blessing to, though I spoke here a couple of years ago, to be with you at this Sunday morning uh, service. It was very special. I'm supposed to be in Indonesia right now at the big WEA global conference with hundreds of leaders from around the world. And, but I'm only speaking on the last night, which is Tuesday night. And so I emailed them and said, look, please forgive me for not going to the conference. But I, do you still want me as a speaker when I just come for the final night? And they said, yes, come. So I appreciate prayer for my flight to Indonesia tonight. As a token of appreciation for your prayer ministry and support of OM through all these years, we'd like to give everybody a free book. So if you go to our book table through to the other side of the building, in that amazing room, is that called the Cedar Room? Uh, you'll find two different sets of books, plus the fantastic CLC books. We have only a limited range. And one table, please take a free book from that table. You meet Molly, Bob and Molly. He's a little hard to miss being, uh, six foot ten. So, uh, you may want to get his autograph as the tallest person you've ever met in your life. But, uh, his great testimony and how he drew Molly and him together is another tremendous story. And then the other end of the table, some of those books are there for any donation. We won't be beat by the pound shop. So even 75 pence, whatever the value of the book is. And I handpicked almost all of these books. Um, a lot of them have all gone in the last 
two and a half days, but there's still enough for everybody to get a free book. What are some of the books we're trying to get to get you to read? Uh, one of them is especially for leaders, and if you feel you're not a leader, but probably you are, especially if you're married, supposed to be leading your home. Good luck. And um, <laughs> but maybe you know, uh, maybe you know a leader, and you could uh, pass on this brilliant book, uh, "Leading with Love." And I just thank the Lord. I know this author personally. He's run the race. It's been a godly example. And that has been one of my books of the year, I guess, a couple of years ago. Another book that uh, impacted me, I'm in a very serious ways, is SOS, taken from the bigger book, True Grit. It's about what women are suffering. I don't know how anybody can understand what women are suffering and not get committed to ministering and empowering the women of the world. And especially if any of you are from Africa, if any of you from Africa and now live in a relatively easy environment, though you're probably still complaining, hopefully not, (laughs) what women are suffering in some parts of Africa, including out-of-control rape, should be in our daily prayers. And I made a recommitment of my life to the women of Africa in the last two years. My own involvement in Africa has tripled. We have now 500 full-time workers in Africa in about half of the nations. So initially, we, I tried to stay out of Africa because there were so many wonderful Christians already there. They're sending missionaries out to other places. But it's a, it's a continent of endless languages. Many of them not even have scriptures yet. And so we have to really look at the big picture. And we find many, many, even Christian families that don't have their own Bible. And one of my passions has been to raise finance for Bibles in Africa. And I've seen incredible breakthroughs. And this month of October, the biggest breakthrough month I've ever had for my Bibles for Africa. And it goes back somewhat to this book and a transformation in my life concerning women and what they're suffering and yet also how they can be used and how key they are in global missions. Two out of three of every missionary is a woman and they should be honored and they should be respected and we thank the Lord for them. So pick up SOS. I'm amazed we still have some copies of Grace Awakening, one of the most important books in my life, especially certain chapters like graciously disagreeing and pre- and pressing on. This is especially good for marriage. My wife, now that uh, she's over 80, is becoming rather feisty. And uh, <laughs> she's, she's, she's ordering me around more than before. Now I'm doing the shopping. I'm bringing her tea and toast in bed and breakfast this morning. She just complained about it over the telephone. And uh, so I've been rereading, graciously disagreeing and pressing on. And uh, actually, it's quite serious because the survey has shown when men retire, they become very fidgety. If they're at home all day, they're not used to that. The wife isn't used to it either. And so actually, older people are getting divorced because of retirement. It's a big thing in America. In fact, we have that expression in America, for better or for worse, but not for lunch. (laughs) So I really encourage you, even if you're single which has its pitfalls as well, to read Grace Awakening. I'm so thrilled with the balanced view you have of impacting locally 
as well as impacting globally. I was thrilled with this new way of giving, um, which is just so important. And Africans are actually ahead of Europeans when it comes to banking through their telephone. It's just spectacular. And I've got a book that fits perfectly into the generosity movement that's flowing in your church, Treasure Principle by Randy Alcorn. And God has used this book to influence hundreds of thousands to understand you're laying up treasure in heaven, to understand that the ministry of giving is one of the most exciting ministries in all of history. It was as a baby Christian when I still owned my own business and I heard a missionary from Africa share in a nearby meeting that I realized I needed to just sell everything I had and send it off to Africa. And my, of course, I did transform some of my money from the sale of my firefighting equipment business to buy Christian books and Bibles, and the rest is history. What an amazing God that he can use all kinds of people. And my theme this morning, it's sort of a double header if you can find the two things. First of all, with all my heart from the scriptures, I want to show something you probably already know. God wants to use you. God wants to use you. I'm sure many of you, he's already using you. Probably more than maybe you'll even give yourself credit for. Because the Bible says even a cup of cold water will get a reward. But God wants to use you more. In my prayer when I turned 80, people expected me to have a big event. Because I had that for my 60s, I had it for 70s. And the Lord said, no big event for the 80s. You're going to go to rail stations all over the country and your friends can come to a coffee place and celebrate so you can have a conversation. Because at the big events, I never got much conversations with my close friends. And so I went to about 40 locations during that year around the world, but mainly in the UK, usually in coffee places in the station, including Starbucks and your famous overly congested Leeds station. And had fellowship, personal conversation and fellowship, plus I could give everybody a pen and a book and a CD, and it was just a wonderful, wonderful event. And I made this stronger commitment to somehow see more in my senior years. There's no retirement program in God's great plan. This change, tremendous changes in my life, stepping out of all leadership after 46 years, including advisory, Total closure with leadership. People didn't think I would make it. I loved it. (laughs) Embrace change. And one of the things I praise God for your church, you've embraced change. Of course, sometimes it's messy. Of course, sometimes somebody disagrees. But if we're going to reach this new young generation, we've got to be willing to embrace change. And yet we can still hold to the word of God. So number one, God wants to use you. Number two, God wants you to be a marathon runner. Not just to a measly 81. God wants you to go, many of you, way beyond that. One of my favorite groups to fellowship with is is those who are over 100. I go out of my way to get with the 100 club. I mean, it's just amazing. When you come away from fellowshipping with someone 100, you just feel you've got quite a few miles and you need to recommit your life and keep on running. So we want you to somehow receive from the word of the Lord 
that he wants to use you. Be ready to think out of your box. Be ready for a U-turn. But even more important, he wants you to be a marathon runner. And I hope I can share some of that is in my new book, Messiology. I would do anything. I even gave some of these free at the door, even though it's on the donation table. But this is about being a marathon runner and dealing with heartbreak, disillusionment, dealing with prayers that don't seem to be answered, dealing with struggles and weaknesses that haven't gone away like the thorn of the flesh, which leads me to the first passage of Scripture I want to read in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. He talks about this thorn in the flesh. I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take away from me, take it away from me. But he said, this is so radical, this is so amazing. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. I therefore will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest upon me. Wow. I've had some weaknesses all my life in patience. Hurt my wife many times. And my kids. It would be manifest in my driving. And then I, Billy Graham, my spiritual father, he wrote a booklet, Highway, Motorway Safety, a Spiritual Problem, a devastating booklet. I had to just cry out to God for mercy, for impatient driving. I've been doing a lot better now. I go by train. And, <laughs> And I had this weakness of, of uh, just attraction uh, to women that led me a bit into pornography, not sort of the heavy stuff they're into today, which is just frightening to think about. And my whole life, I've lived with the weakness of feeling I was going to fall into the pit of pornography. By God's grace, it never happened. But the struggle, the struggle never went away. And some stupid mistakes, like once in the woods in London, a magazine which I probably was tempted to purchase many times in the old days of the magazines. Now people get it through a phone. The battle is ten times more intense for this generation than my generation. So here was this expensive magazine that I had the victory over again and again. Now it was hanging in a tree in the woods in London. And uh, somebody had used it for target practice. There was bullet holes through this magazine. And how I would love to give you my victorious life testimony. I just saw it in the power of God, zapped it, and of course it disappeared miraculously. How many prefer truth? Are you any of you into truth? Yeah, I thought so. This is one of these truth churches. And, and of course, you know, I fell into the sin of lust there in the woods. You know, when you're, a, I was already a Christian leader. I had already led thousands of people to Christ. And when you're in that category and you have this failure, shame comes in, the enemy, the accuser of the brethren, tries to just destroy you and get you to overthrow the whole thing. And some leaders have done that. And I've been following the fall of Christian leaders all these 60 years, way more prevalent than we know. 
But somehow I knew from this book that God would forgive me. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. Sin not. That's my goal every morning. Second part of the verse. If you sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And so somehow I knew as I walked out of that woods feeling so down on myself, so miserable, so unable to in some ways continue feeling that uh, I was maybe a hypocrite. That's one of the favorite words of the devil, hypocrite. And, you know, it's very hard to discern, and we need to be careful, between normal human inconsistency and hypocrisy. So be careful accusing someone to be a hypocrite. In any way, when you point one finger at someone else, there's three or four pointing back at yourself. One of the things that's liberated me to have such a good attitude toward pretty well everyone I ever meet is because I know my own sinfulness. I know my own failures. And even things like that failure with the magazine in the woods, the, the, the Lord used that to make me stronger and to make me more careful and to give me the privilege of helping hundreds of people hooked on pornography come out of that through speaking about it openly and then getting in correspondence with them and sometimes praying with them. Yes, His grace is sufficient. His strength is made perfect in weakness. I don't know what your weakness is. I was quite stunned when I, uh, through my wife, discovered there are women that actually buy things that they don't need. Why would anyone buy anything that they don't need? I mean, that's got to be a contagious disease. (laughs) If you have that weakness, God still loves you. And we had somehow some kind of announcement had something to do with that this morning. But uh, this is a land of charity shops. I live in just a small section of London called West Wickham. Just, it's not very big. We got six charity shops, including the Sally Army. What an amazing place. So if you do need clothing, I mean, don't be stupid and buy new things. Go to the charity shop, sniff it out, and you'll come out sometimes with a brand new dress. Uh, but don't get it if you don't need it. And husbands, if your wife is an uncontrollable spendaholic, I want to specifically pray for you. Send me a secret email (laughs) coded because it must be extremely difficult. My wife, since her radical commitment to Jesus, has hardly ever wanted to spend anything. And I told her before the marriage, I was a bit extreme. We're not going to have a ring. We're not having any expensive wedding. We're not going to have a honeymoon. We're not going to, you know, we just live on the floor. We don't spend money except for the kingdom. Of course, she had read in the school paper that I was a man of God and she was in love. And then I gave her, you know, I was a Bible teacher. So I gave her the key verse, submit to your husband as unto the Lord. And she just took it all in a little naive. And um, we went to Mexico straight after this little wedding, which just was after a Sunday morning service. And, uh, praise God, we had a tremendous marriage, really, for several weeks. <laughs> then she started to read other verses. She started to express her own opinion. And uh, one of the verses was, love your wife as Christ loved the church. January 31st. We celebrate 60 years of me trying 
to obey that verse. And by God's grace, and this is a miracle, and psychologists say it's impossible, we've both been totally faithful to one another these 60 years as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, as young people who took the word of God seriously, verses like, Hit any man that warreth, entangleth himself not with the affairs of this life. This is Remembrance Sunday. Almost every Remembrance Sunday, I make a recommitment to the Lord to be a better soldier of Jesus Christ. Yes, I am an old buzzard. I still go down the street singing onward Christian soldiers marching as to war. And I still believe in that verse, endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Which is a miracle for me because I love it when it's warm and cozy and I can stay in bed and pray, Lord, bless me as I spend the day in bed. (laughs) I've never had the blessing of the Lord because I've never done it except maybe a couple times when I was ill. I've had almost perfect health my whole life. His grace is sufficient. His strength is made perfect in weakness. The second passage of scripture is from Hebrews chapter 12. I think we all know it. We're running a race, laying aside every weight and sin that so easily beset us, keeping our eyes on Jesus. And surely the key to running a long distance race, there are many factors. We need the whole counsel of God. And I try to share that. In my books, and I'd be happy to send any of you all of my books as a gift anytime. No turning back. Hunger for reality. Drops from a leaking tap. Now messiology. Revolution of love. I wasn't even a writer. God had to hit me on the head to get me to write. Initially, I got help. This one I typed out. The whole thing, of course, it had to be corrected. And that over a million of my books have gone out. And now a film of my life story, I actually can't handle it. I just give it to God. Some people now think that I'm famous. Let me tell you, I've never felt famous. I'm an unworthy servant, held together by the grace of God, redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ. And I believe if God can use a character like me, and I've walked with him every single day since my conversion in Madison Square Garden, he can use anybody. He can use anybody. You will have weaknesses. You will have struggles. I had a lifelong struggle with doubt. I find many things in the Bible very confusing. I've never been able to understand them 60-some years studying the Bible. I recently studied the history, how we ever got the Bible in the first place. You don't want to study that. You don't want to study that. It's so confusing. You have to embrace what I call messiology or embrace mystery. That God was in that messy situation of how we got this book. Because in the early days they didn't have this book. They had the Old Testament. And to realize one of the very important teachings of the Word of God, those final words of Romans chapter 11. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? I'd urge you, if you have some struggles as I do, things that don't make sense, prayers that don't seem to get answered, embrace mystery. Embrace mystery. Who are we to think we're going to understand everything God is doing? Many people in Europe by the millions turned away from God. Whether they ever knew Christ personally, only the Lord knows. But they turned away from God during those two big wars, especially in Belgium. 
And many, many became atheists. And that's still happening even in our universities just down the road. Always throwing at us, why does God allow suffering? Why did God allow war? Why didn't God intervene? Why were people fighting on both sides of the war, like the Civil War in America? Both sides praying to God. And especially some of you have seen the film, Oh, What a Lovely War. Embrace mystery. One thing we know, God created us in his image. Because we're created in his image, he has given us free will. There's a huge emphasis on sovereignty and the sovereignty of God. I hear all kinds of sovereignty cliches. I believe in that. Messiology, of course, is about that. But we need to embrace free will and the fact that God will not easily interfere with free will. And so we pray for a specific thing for all these terrorists to be arrested in this country or that country, or everybody was praying for the head of Syria to fall. They've been praying for that for so long. And here the man is still in power. God doesn't run roughshod over our free will because that is part of the whole initial creation and plan of God for eternity that we can never fully grasp as weak human beings. Embrace mystery. I'm reading a new book. It's a red-hot book. I don't agree with it all, but I love the title. Dealing with the heresy of certainty. The idea that as Christians, we must be certain about everything. That leads to heavy dogmatism, which I talk about in this book. Why are we so dogmatic? And I just, I'm just weary of Phariseeism in the church. I'm weary of the heavy hand of legalism. I want to see love. I want to see big-heartedness. I want to see forgiveness. And I urge you to embrace that message with all of your heart and strength. And make this day a day of renewal in which you allow the love of Christ to flow through, through you and to use you in a greater way. Some of you know my favorite story about how God loves you and wants to use you. And I'll bring this to a close with that story. And it's about a family in a big thunderstorm and the lightning was terrific. And so even the adults were nervous. Then they realized their little girl, seven-year-old, is up alone in her bedroom. They ran up the stairs, thought she'd be hiding under the bed. And there she was, another flash of lightning. She was looking out the window. They said, are you okay? And she said, yes, I, I think God is taking my picture. <laughs> God is taking your picture. You are important. There may be someone here. God's taken your picture. But somehow it's blurry. Because of sin. Because you have not yet come to Jesus. May this morning, the 10th of November, 2019, be your moment of decision. Mine was March 3rd, 1955. I was not from a Christian home. As a son of a Dutch immigrant, they were good parents. I had a happy childhood. I never had an unhappy day. I certainly didn't need Jesus. I had girlfriends. I had money. I had a business. I had a little bit of religion as well because so many nice girls in this little church which had left the Bible became a social club. And I became president of the youth fellowship. I had an ego bigger than the Empire State Building down the road from where I lived. And Billy Graham, just somehow Holy Ghost John Wayne took both guns out and blew George Verrill right out of his seat. 
And soon I found myself in front of 20,000 people weeping and repenting and being saved and filled with the Spirit and sent that very same night back to my high school before God was done over 200 in my high school, an ungodly place where a third were often drunk. But within the next two years, both through my meetings and then Billy Graham coming back to New York City, about 200 professed faith in that school. I wondered how could this happen until I met Mrs. Clapp, the lady who prayed for me, put my name on a Holy Ghost hit list. Not only prayed I'd become a Christian, she prayed I would become a missionary. Whoa, didn't even discuss this with me. <laughs> and she had been praying for that school for revival for 20 years. No wonder God did that amazing thing. You can see it in that film of my life story. God wants to use you. Mrs. Clapp, who through prayer birthed the whole movement of OM, was an ordinary housewife with a fair-sized family and all the complexities just of life. One of the things I feel they didn't teach me, I left university eventually and went to Bible college, and one of the things I fail, I feel they failed to teach me at Bible college is how complex life gets. And let me tell you, as you're getting older, <laughs> it gets more complex. We didn't want to have children right away. We were told missionaries don't have children right away. And so, well, how do I read a book against birth control? So, you know, how, how do I do that? And then I, then I read another book by Catholics. Catholics have a method called rhythm. You know, you only have marital thing certain time of the month. I said, that's for me. I went to my marriage counselor. I said, have you heard of this rhythm method? He said, well, yeah, that, that's, that's good if you're really a disciplined person. Woo, that's me. Anyway, Benjamin was born nine months after the wedding. <laughs> Daniel was born very quickly after. My daughter Krista then was born. It was getting very complex and I changed, I changed my theology real quick. And then we somehow found we had five grandchildren, some in Britain, some in America, and now we've just had our sixth grandchild. Let me tell you, friends, I need prayer. <laughs> Life gets complicated, but God meets us where we are. He enables us to forgive ourselves and to forgive everyone else. He refills us with the Holy Spirit like Acts 431, when they prayed, the place was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and went forth and spoke the word of God with boldness. May there be a fresh anointing on all of you as you impact Leeds and the rest of the world. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. amen.